I need a little amplification, so this is good. So it was a nice driving up here. I, I really enjoyed the drive up here. I mean, North 101 is amazing, right? South 101 is horrible. North 101 is great. It's good to see everybody. And always delight to be with you guys. You're welcome to change. Thank you. <laughs> so um, there's an outline floating about in, like, I think there's even an extra one, but if nobody has one, I need one. There's probably a few floating around. And that helps me probably more than it helps you. I guess they have a track. But um, hopefully it would help you. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 in just one, one verse today. The verse says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say... Rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, our sovereign maker, master and king, and yet our savior, God, we have much, much reason to rejoice. Lord, I pray that you fill each of us with a greater sense of our joy in Christ today. Ask that you help me just communicate clearly, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. The headline from the UC Davis Health publication reads this Suicide is the leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 24 and has been increasing every year since 2007. Which is an indescribable tragedy. Heartbreaking. And to make it worse, um, I think our government's policies on COVID-19 can only amplify depression and other mental illnesses in our country. Since COVID, the number of suicides and mental health issues has spiked. And the lockdown, social distancing, and other policies that um, unincentivize people to work all contributed to this madness that we're seeing. In the chaos, the government has created a pandemic that is actually worse than the actual pandemic in my mind. It's a, it's a pandemic of hopelessness and a pandemic of depression. Now more than ever, this world needs some emotional stability. Now more than ever, our world actually needs joy. So today I want to talk to you about emotional stability in a world gone mad. Is there any hope? Can you have peace? Can you have control over your emotions while the world around you is gone nuts? I want to talk to you about living a tranquil life, having a gladness and a joy and a happiness in this life. How can I have emotional stability amidst chaos. Well, the context here, Paul is talking about having stability in general as a Christian. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved, and long for brothers, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. That word, stand fast, is speaking of your stability in the Lord. And um, he goes on to talk about relational stability, uh, uh, relationship stability within the church. And he 
cites Yodia and Sittiche as a, as a conflict that was going on in the church, and he tells them to come to reconciliation. So he addresses stability and relational stability in the church in verses 2 to 3 there. Now he's going to begin to talk about emotional stability. He mentions rejoicing um, in verse 4, and then in verse 5 he talks about uh, living a moderate life. To be gentle is how my translation translates it. And then he goes on in verses 6 to 7 to talk about prayer. And then finally he's going to end in verses 8 to 9 talking about mental stability. Um, having right thoughts about life. And putting things into perspective. And using Paul as an example of how to do that. So that includes discipleship. And the building up of your minds. And so... He's talking about how to have a stable life amidst chaos. And the Philippian church has much chaos. Last week I talked a little bit about the chaotic situation in Philippi. But how can I have control over my emotions? Point one in your outline is by obeying the command to rejoice. Now, I don't know Greek, but they say that this command here is in the emphatic. Paul is um, saying, rejoice. Okay, he's just saying it, it exuberantly. This is the command. This is what you must do. You must rejoice. Paul really wanted to hammer the point down uh, home, so he actually states it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so joy is actually a, a moral obligation for a Christian. Psalms 32.11 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Zechariah 2.10 Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. And he commands us to rejoice in our chaos, and in our trials, and our tribulations. So James 1.2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And the command of Scripture is that we have joy as Christians. We're not to be somber or defeated. A somber, defeated, or bitter person is not living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. We are commanded to rejoice. If this describes you, you actually need to consider that and, and, and evaluate your heart. You need to change. You need to get the control over your emotions. What is joy? It's cheerfulness. It's to be calm. It actually, sometimes it's translated, the Greek word, sometimes it's translated joy, sometimes it's translated happy or blessed. There's really... There's sometimes you hear a distinction between joy and happiness that Christians can make. It's just the same word in the Greek. It, it means the same thing. It's actually to means it means to be happy. And so it's a, it's a settled state of mind that channels how you process circumstances and actually determines how you will respond. So, for instance, um, if um, if I'm excited and you come to my house, I might welcome you in and ask you to share a cup of coffee with me so you can share my enthusiasm and excitement. Right? If you come to my house, however, and I'm sad, I might ask you to come in and have a cry with me. I'm not a big cryer, but 
you understand, my emotion is going to determine how I respond in any situation. If I'm angry and you come to my house, I might slam the door on you and tell you to hit the road. Right? So your emotion actually controls the outcome or your, your response. So feelings, emotions, they channel uh, the they're, they're a mindset that channels how you will respond in any given situation. They're, it's your mood, it's your attitude, it's your affections. It's part of your, your affections. And so joy is an emotion that channels a pleasant response. So the Bible, although it commands us to have joy, it, it does recognize other emotions. And I don't need to go through the list of it, but um, you can think of anger as mentioned when Cain killed his brother uh, Abel, and he became angry with God in Genesis chapter 4. It mentions fear, mentions jealousy, terror. Um, uh, Daniel 5 is an example of terror, lust, when David lusted after Bathsheba. Hatred, when the, uh, I can't remember, was it Anik? I can't remember his name, but and when the people took the detestable, this family took the detestable things after they conquered Jericho, it says that Joshua hated them. He hated these people and actually stoned them to death. So it speaks of hatred, speaks of depression, speaks of guilt, resentment, pride, arrogance, selfishness, sorrow, all different kinds of emotions you can find in the Bible, because the Bible actually recognizes this. So what's an unstable person? An unstable person is one who cannot control their emotions. They have these highs and lows, and they switch back from one state of emotion to another without any seeming control over their emotions. And sometimes this person is actually described as, as, as a person you're walking on eggshells around. Because you have to be so very careful or else they're going to crack. Right? One day you'd be um, driving in the car with them and turn on the 80s love songs and they'll be singing at the top of their lungs. And the very next day <laughs> you turn on the same station and they, they turn it off. Right? Because they're an unstable person and you don't know how they're going to respond with each day. Well, the, the command here is that you have joy. That you have this pleasant response. That you are in control over your emotions. You're not to be temperamental. You're not to be moody. You must be happy. You must be glad. You must be cool-headed. Even healed. And I think that's what he's alluding to in verse 5 about being gentle. You have a gentle spirit about you if you're joyful, right? So, is Paul being callous, though? I mean, Epaphroditus had gone on a, on a mission to go give Paul a letter in prison to inform Paul about how the Philippian church was doing. And on his journey there, the, the beloved Epaphroditus almost died. And they were in serious heartache over this issue. They were, they were completely bent out of shape. And Paul, I think, here is addressing their hearts in this. But is he being callous? He's telling them, he commands them to have joy. And I wonder, is this some sort of escapism? You know um, how people do drugs to escape the reality of their life? 
or some people turn to binge TV watching or food or just different, all different ways that you can kind of self-medicate. Is Paul telling them to deny the reality of their troubles? Or what is he calling them to do here? The second point on your outline, how can I gain control over my emotions by prioritizing joy? So, the Word of God says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. We are to have a constant happiness in our life amidst joy. Amidst trials, excuse me. To, to prioritize joy above other emotions. Don't you guys want to have happiness as a goal in your life? I think, I think that's just kind of innate and natural to want to have happiness. I don't think that's a bad thing, to want to be happy in life. Isn't that a good thing, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Paul's not calling them to do something that they shouldn't already want to do, nor is he calling us. This is something we all want to experience, right? That joy, the happiness. There's nothing wrong with that. Mike Riccardi, I'm going to give you a, a quote from him. Mike Riccardi's a, one of the pastors down there at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley. It says, Joy ought to be the dominating characteristic of every Christian. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Isn't that true? The greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Richard Baxter, a great Puritan, said this, Joy is the flower and life of true religion. Joy. Happiness. Now, it's not the primary goal of life. I actually want to make this qualification. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right? Our primary goal, our, our priority in life is to seek God. And our primary goal is to seek righteousness. Joy, then, is a byproduct and all these things will be added to you. Right? If you seek God in righteousness, joy is automatic. And so Paul, he doesn't command joy only, though. There's other passages that actually tell us that we should experience other emotions. And this could, uh, it doesn't mean by saying rejoice, Always, he's not saying rejoice only. That there's other emotions that you can have as a Christian, and you ought to. It's natural and it's normal to have. For example, Ephesians 4:29 says, "Be angry, but do not sin." So, which is it? Are you to be angry, or are you supposed to be happy? Sometimes the answer is not one or the other, right? It's both. Or you can think of. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. It's Romans 12, 15. In fact, in this very letter, Paul said that he had sorrow upon sorrow. He was also sad about the situation that had arisen with Epaphroditus. He was concerned for his life that he was actually going to die. 
So Paul himself is acknowledging that he had sorrow. And yet he's telling them to rejoice always. So which is it? Rejoice or be sad? I would contend it is actually possible to have two different emotions simultaneously. It's actually not only possible, I think it's probable, and sometimes perhaps even free. And you might um, think of Joseph as an example of this. When his brothers came to see him in Egypt for the first time, since they had betrayed him and, and sold him as a slave in Egypt, at first he had resentment. Um, and then he was, he, he was uh, feeling excitement when they told him that he had a younger brother, Benjamin. And he was filled with joy when he heard that his father was still alive. And you can have, like, you can hold all of these things simultaneously, right? The Bible's not calling us to deny other emotions, but the, the, the Psalms are filled with all different uh, emotions. And that's, that's part of the, the beauty of the Psalms, that you can literally come to God in prayer with all of your feelings, with all of your emotions. So Christian joy is not the absence of other emotions, but joy is something you feel alongside other emotions. And yet it's the one... It's the one emotion that we are called to constantly feel. And it's not just a feeling. I think it's more than a feeling, but it's no less than a feeling, right? Joy is what we are called to constantly continually have. Rejoice always, our passage says. And so Paul commands this joy continually. Joy is the companion, you could say, to sadness. Joy is the companion to anger. Joy is the companion to fear. He's the taxi cab driver of your emotions. So other emotions might get on the ride for a while, but they get off, but he continues to, to drive that, that car. Or he's the sheriff of your behavior. He's, it's governing your actions, governing your response. He's the captain of your soul, carrying you through troubled waters, safe from all the chaos of a sea of emotions. So human emotions are a gift of God, and it's healthy to be sad when your cat dies. It's okay to cry about that. That's a situation that might arise in your life. I wouldn't cry about a cat dying, but that might be your thing. (laughs) But you can have joy alongside other emotions. And the Bible commands joy as the chief emotion, the first ranking, the priority of every Christian life. So how can I have gain control over my emotions by obeying the command, but also by prioritizing joy? We're not denying other emotions here. We're actually um, to always, though, have joy in our lives. And then third, by cultivating the means of joy. Hopefully get some application to tell you how you actually do this, right? I mean, are we supposed to make joy just magically happen? Kind of whip it up? How are we supposed to do this? Am I supposed to constantly uh, blast my stereo and sing with joy, a joyful heart? And drowned out all my misery? Is that, is that what Paul is calling us to do? Or binge eat on chocolate or uh, 
maybe some hobbies that get you excited about, like mountain bike riding. That makes me happy for a little bit. Certainly those things can make you happy for a little while, but that's a really short-term solution, isn't it? We need something that's enduring. We need something that's constant. Because he says, again, rejoice always. You can't just be riding a mountain bike all the time. Right. <laughs> Listen, he gives us the means of joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That's the means. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the means of constant joy. The Lord is the means of, means of pure joy. Perfect joy. The Lord is the means of unchanging joy. This is maximum joy. Jesus said that the Christian life is the abundant life. It's full, maximum joy. So, our joy as Christians can be constant because our union with Jesus Christ is constant. If you actually are saved, you have this union with God. You have the means of maximum full joy always. Your joy is in the Lord. We don't have to fabricate joy out of thin air and try to force ourselves to be happy. We have an objective reality for joy in our life. A method. A a mechanism. An instrument. We have joy in the Lord. So how do we cultivate joy in our lives? What is the means of joy in our lives? First, confess your idols. Is there something other than the Lord that is primary, the primary source of your happiness? Long bouts of depression actually reveal that you have idols. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Whatever you appreciate most in your life that brings you maximum joy, well, that thing is your treasure. And it ought not be your treasure if it's not God. God should be your supreme treasure. He should fill that, that place in your life that brings you maximum and full joy. And so when these things are taken away from you and situations arise, and you feel depressed, long bouts of depression, that reveals that that thing held the highest, most uh, su- supreme place in your heart. And you have an idol. To lose your treasure is to lose your joy, which begs the question, if, if God is secure, then should your joy be secure? It should remain through whatever you face. What is your greatest treasure? When I, when I wrote this, I actually uh, wrote this for the, the youth group at my church, but... <laughs> Is your greatest treasure a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it food, popularity, comfort? Is it perhaps a family? How about relaxation? Always just looking for the next vacation. That's your idol. We all know that one of our idols is ourself, right? We love to indulge ourselves, and when we don't get what we want, it brings us into utter despair. Some of these things are not inherently bad. The Bible does talk about um, the fact that 
you should love others as you love yourself. It, it assumes that you do love yourself. But, and it's not bad to care for yourself, but is that your supreme treasure? Is that, it, it may be that this is, and yourself is an idol. So repenting of your idolatry and affirming that God is supreme. He is your greatest treasure, and that can never be taken away from you. So one of the means of cultivating joy first is to confess your idols, and then second, appreciate the Lord. Appreciate the Lord. We must train our thoughts and make it our daily habit to appreciate the Lord and be grateful for our salvation. Again, is to rejoice in the Lord. The, the Lord himself is the cause of Christian rejoicing. It's the cause of happiness in your life. And Paul, he's not telling you just to force a smile or ignore your circumstances. Paul is telling that there is a circumstance, whatever circumstance you're facing now, there is a circumstance that parallels all of your life. It runs alongside all of your life. It's a situation that never changes and it's always cause for joy. A Christian can be happy because he knows the Lord no matter what happens. And so you see this parallel uh, circumstance uh, reflected in 2 Corinthians 4.18. We do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, are eternal. So there's this eternal reality about your life that runs parallel to all those temporary circumstances that you face, to all those trials that you face. Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. James 1.2 again, My brother counted all, my brothers counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith develops patience, but let patience perfect its work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So amidst these trying situations, you know that there's blessing in it, because we have a God who's unseen, but he's working behind the scenes, and there's another situation in your life that you can rejoice about. You can have sadness in a situation, you can have anger even, a Christian always has this continual joy because they have the Lord in their life. And so our joy is predicated on these eternal blessings that surpass all other feelings. And because our eternal state of being is supreme and unchanging, then our joy is maximum. Our joy is it's a fixed reality. You have a happy life, whether or not you realize it or not, if you are in Christ. And you can think of a baby who's actually born into a godly family. And that child, their future is bright. And they are blessed no matter what they feel in any given moment. And if you ever have any babies, you understand that they're not always happy, right? (laughs) They actually are not aware how blessed they are. And when their diaper's dirty or the bottle runs out, they're screaming in terror or uh, sorrowful beyond. And yet, they are blessed in that moment, whether they understand they're blessed or not. 
But our joy is actually a fixed reality, whether you're conscious of it or not. It's in the Lord. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that can never be taken away. It's continual. And you are blessed. And it's permanent. It can't be taken away from you. The joy you have from riding a roller coaster ends at the end of the ride. Or the joy you have from eating an ice cream that ends at that last bite. The joy of having a puppy, which we have in our house right now, it, it ends when they eat your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> right? These things are temporary. They, 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 they do make us happy, but it's only temporary for a season. But the joy in the Lord is constant. It's a joy in the Lord always. And so our joy is ever present. I can, I can go out on a walk and I can appreciate the sky, but not just appreciate the sky, I can thank God that He made that. That He's the creator of all things. Or I can have joy while I'm swimming in a lake and appreciate the fact that He's given me the ability, the physical ability to swim, or um, the fact that there's water, um, basically a playground that, that God made for me to enjoy on this earth. But our supreme joy as Christians is salvation. You could actually face going into surgery not knowing you're coming out on the other side. And you can have joy in that moment because even if your life should be taken from you, you have security, you have eternal life with God. You have joy in the Lord that transcends even death. And so... Our joy is, is appreciating our, our Lord. Our joy is found, the means of, of cultivating this joy is, is appreciating the Lord and appreciating the work He's done in salvation. Preach to your heart. Tell your heart, don't be sad. Remind yourself that you have help, hope. And tell your heart to be grateful for salvation. David did this. He had like so many ups and downs in his life. Um, he was the hero one minute when he slays the giant, and then he's in exile, running from his, for his life from Saul the very next moment. And then he's, um, he leads these great military campaigns, and he's, he's a huge success. And amidst that, he falls into sin with uh, Bathsheba, and, and God tells him, one of his, child's, one of his children that's going to be born is going to die. Another time, he after he's kind of at the end of his career as the king of Israel, he's had great success. He's, 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 this whole dynasty is, is, uh, has arisen, and he uh, finds himself running from his son, finds himself running from Absalom in exile. He had all these highs and lows, and what did David do when he was in the pit of despair? He literally preached to his heart. And you might say that's kind of kind of weird to talk to yourself. Some people will think you're a madman, but the Bible doesn't think so. Okay, God doesn't think so. This is something that you should put into practice yourself. Psalm 43. Listen to what David says in verse five. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I will yet give him thanks, the salvation of my countenance and my God. 
That's, that's talking to yourself, but that's preaching to yourself and telling you to, to put your hope. He's asking himself, why am I downcast in this situation? The Lord is my Savior. I have everlasting life. Hope in God. Or you might consider Asaph, and I encourage you to read Psalm 73. Asaph felt envy of the wicked who were committing crimes and they were living high on the hog and they had all the toys and trinkets and he it puts him into a downward spiral and he's really sad about the situation. So he begins the song expressing his how he doesn't understand why he's facing hardship in life and all these wicked people are, are experiencing joy. But then he realizes that he, when he went to church, he was in the presence of God. That the greatest treasure of all the earth was to be in relationship with God. He recognized that his joy was in the Lord, and then he realizes that he is saved, and their faith is, is an eternity apart from God. And he trained his heart to rejoice in the Lord. So preach to your heart. Preach to your heart. We have this illustrated for us in, in the Psalms. That's what David does, and that's what Jesus did. And so, find this joy in beholding God and beholding salvation. See first the kingdom of God as the, as the chief priority, the chief objective, and, but joy is going to be an automatic byproduct of seeking the Lord. So then, third, practicing gratefulness to the Lord. I'll be short with this, because I know we're running up on time, but Gratitude helps you refocus what you on what you have rather than on what you lack. Okay? Gratitude helps you refocus on what you have rather than on what you lack. So we want to cultivate gratitude in our life. Make notes to yourself. Um, you can use a journal or you can write in the margins of your Bible. Um, I know on my Bible, I don't have any notes on this one. This is a new Bible, but there's like always these blank pages. You can write some Bible verses you want to be working on and memorizing. Or you could put post-it notes on your mirror. But begin meditating on Scripture and ingesting verses so people put them on their smartphone. But write down some verses like this. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong. And of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, it is He who goes with you. He will not fail you, nor forsake you. Or Psalms 99, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. I would encourage you to memorize all of Romans 8. This is Romans 8, yes. It's really the high point of all of Scripture in my mind. But he says in verse 31, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on to talk about can, can trial or tribulation, can authorities, can demons, can angels, can anything separate a child of God from the love of God? No. But you need to cultivate gratitude to the Lord. You need to nurture your, your soul and fill it up. That's how you're going to have joy.
And train your mouth to say thank you. Thank God directly in prayer. As I mentioned, if you're swimming in a lake or uh, maybe when you lay down your head on your pillow and I thank the Lord that he gave you this nice pillow to sleep on. There's all different ways to cultivate gratitude. And not only thanking God directly, but thanking God indirectly. Um, you know, don't just observe the weather, but uh, say something like this to your friends. Can you believe he did it again? Can you believe he did it again? And they say, who did what? God, he lifted the sun into the sky again so we can enjoy his warmth today. Can you believe he did it again? And you show your gratitude towards God. You're praising God indirectly. But this is this is our life. This is who we are as Christians. We, we're, we're enjoying the Lord, and we're giving Him gratitude and prayer. We're, we're speaking of how grateful we are to others. So this is how you cultivate a heart that rejoices in the Lord. A happy heart is a grateful heart. And so teach your soul and teach your lips to glorify God. Now, in conclusion, Matthew Henry says in commenting on this book, there is enough in God to furnish us with, with matter of joy in the worst circumstances on earth. So there is enough in God to furnish us with matter of joy in the worst circumstances of earth. Dear Christian, if you want to be a stable person and joyful in this world, you've got to get a hold of your emotions. You're going to get rid of your emotions, but cling to the Lord in your trials. Cultivate a heart of gratefulness and appreciate the Lord and give Him the greater measure of your emotions by rejoicing in the Lord always. Hold sadness, hold anger, hold fear, but simultaneously you can have this joy in the Lord. You can bring those things to God in prayer. But commit to joy. This is our habit of life. If you're not a Christian, let me say this with sincerity and soberness and sadness of heart. You may think you have joy, but you do not know joy. What you think is joy is actually fading and is temporary. If you do not look know the Lord, all of your toys and all of your entertainment, it may drown out your conscience for a season and make you feel happy. But it's not going to last. And even if those things should carry you to the end of your days on this earth, they will be gone in the fire of judgment. And there will come a time when your joy will be replaced with unceasing sorrow and anguish. Friends, I plead with you to look for everlasting joy in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for sending the Savior, Lord, that we might have maximum, full joy, God. Just being able to reflect on this passage, God, it stirs my heart. God, it, it, it fills me up. Lord, I ask that you would make us a people full of joy. We could go out from this place 
full of joy in telling all of our friends how great you are, God. I ask that you to stir within us, Lord, make us a joyful people. We thank you for this day, in Christ's name. Amen. I think I'll um, do the, the benediction. Can you do that up here? Sometimes. Okay. Jude is only one chapter, but it's verse starting in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Rich. Thank you.